Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today, Brittany and I are so excited. Why? Because we're going to talk about a very, very exciting topic. What's that? Endometriosis is not the endometrium. Oh, this is exciting. (laughs) (laughs) This is so exciting. Now, so many of us know that endometriosis is not the endometrium, and the endometrium is another word for the uterine lining. So, so many of us know that endometriosis is not the uterine lining. But we continue to see over and over and over on social media, on websites, even sometimes our misinformed doctors are telling us that endometriosis is the endometrium. It's a lie. It is not. (laughs) Lies. So today we want to talk about why it's so important that endometriosis is not the endometrium. And we also want to talk about the differences between endometriosis and the endometrium. Brittany and I are really, really passionate about this message that endometriosis is not the endometrium. It's not. (laughs) And I know that so many of you listening share this same passion with us. So maybe throughout the episode, we're going to be screaming at some points about how endometriosis is not the endometrium. It's not. Screaming with excitement. But we just, why do we continue to compare endometriosis to something that it's not? Okay, for example, is a sweet potato the same as one of those like baking... Idaho, you know those white potatoes? You have the sweet potatoes, you have the white potatoes, you have the little tiny russet, russet I don't know all the, I don't know the different potatoes. Oh, you have red perfect potatoes. potatoes. Oh, now I want potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Are they the same? Is an orange potato the same as a white potato, the same as a red potato, the same as a purple potato? They're potatoes, but they're not the same thing. They're not the same. They don't taste the same. They certainly don't react in my body. My intestines. No, that's true. My intestines know they're not the same potato. My body's okay. like, good sweet potato, bad other potato. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> even my body knows the difference. <laughs> All right, a banana is not a plantain. No, definitely not. Okay, plantains are so good. Bananas, uh, evil in my body. Fried plantains with mm, an egg. Yummy. <laughs> an orange is not a grapefruit. Definitely not. Even though they're both citrusy and they look similar. A peanut butter and jelly sandwich is not the same as a gourmet sandwich. <laughs> I tried. To, I don't know if you go say sandwich. I tried to make a sandwich sound French? fancy. Yeah, okay. fancy. You What's know? on this gourmet sandwich, as Amy says? <laughs> Dijon mustard, Ooh. honey ham, mm-hmm. some kind of some French, fromage, French gourmet cheese. Okay. <laughs> These are not the same. No, true. Brittany is not the same as Amy. Thank God. <laughs> hey! <laughs> you wish you were Amy. Okay. No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and endometriosis is not the endometrium. They're not the same. 
Not even close. And this is really important because the thought that endometriosis is the endometrium has influenced the way that this disease has been treated, that this disease has been thought about. It's influenced the theories of origin around endometriosis. So to really progress with endometriosis, we need to move past the idea that endometriosis is the endometrium. And so many of us know that, but so many researchers and doctors and medical literature do not seem to know that. And it is unacceptable. Now it's my turn to talk about how ridiculous this is. Endometriosis is not the endometrium. Endometriosis is worse. Much. Way. Worse. Way worse. (laughs) I'm scared. Like 10,000 times worse. It's a pain-inducing, estrogen-making, inflammation-generating tissue. Angry, evil tissue. (laughs) We could go so far as to say that when endometrium sees endometriosis on the playground, it runs away screaming. Ah! Because endometriosis is the playground bully. Like, this was... I made this clear, right? Okay, endometriosis is the playground bully. Endometrium sees it, runs away screaming. That's how bad endometriosis is. On the playground, all the little bits of endometrium scatter in every single direction at the (laughs) sight of endometriosis. (laughs) Like, not endometriosis. That's coming for us. That tissue has a really bad attitude. (laughs) It is the playground bully. I hope this is very clear. I don't. I don't feel like I could make it clear how much endometriosis is the body's bully. Like, I don't think I could make this more clear. (laughs) Maybe that's why endometriosis is the bully and is so angry because endometriosis doesn't feel like it's been seen as its true self for so Mm. long. Endometriosis is like, stop comparing me to something that I'm not. I am not the endometriosis. I am my own individual. I am my own person. (laughs) See me for me. And then just breathes fire everywhere in the body. (laughs) That actually tracks. It makes a lot of sense. (laughs) So there is so much to say on the topic of how endometriosis is not the endometrium because it is not the endometrium, in spite of what so many websites and doctors believe, that we're going to split this information into two episodes. Ooh. Oh, yeah. So we can make a lot of jokes. <laughs> and we know that's why you're here. Not to learn, <laughs> just to listen to us make jokes. That's, we don't kid ourselves. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Fair. So this week we're going to do like a basic overview of the differences between endo and the endometrium. And then next week we're going to do the hardcore science very hardcore science about, yeah, so strapping your seatbelts, <laughs> about why these differences occur between the two tissues. And as we go through the episode with our continued sarcasm about the ridiculousness of believing that endometriosis is the endometrium, please know that our sarcasm and emphasis is not aimed at any of you listening. It is aimed at our rage at the overall medical community We know you all know. And if you didn't know and you know now, well, then you know. So the sarcasm still isn't directed at you. (laughs) You're enlightened. It's directed at the people who continue to perpetuate this problem, who are in a medical field that should know better. That's where our sarcasm is directed, our biting rhetoric. So to give an example, many of you have heard of ACOG. And ACOG is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. So this in the United States is a professional membership organization, and they represent more than 60,000 OBGYNs, medical students, and other healthcare professionals here in the United States. 
ACOG's website states that their activities are designed to maintain the highest standards of clinical practice for healthcare with reliable evidence-based health information. They also state that they provide information we can trust based on research and also that they will strongly advocate for quality healthcare for their patients. Cue grumbling. <laughs> Cue sarcasm. Cue and disbelief rage. and questioning. <laughs> so, what they do is ACOG writes bulletins and practice guidelines for doctors, for OBGYNs, as well as they provide information to patients, among other things. Well, as of January 2021, when we consulted their website, their endometriosis FAQ section that's aimed at patients, unfortunately, has the definition of endometriosis wrong. Of course it does. Okay, <laughs> so we're talking about ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the professional membership organization that represents more than 60,000 OBGYNs, medical students, and other healthcare professionals that state that they maintain the highest standards of clinical practice for healthcare with reliable evidence-based health information. Who set those standards? Because um, <laughs> I got a question for you. <laughs> so this is what the definition of endometriosis says on their website, and I quote, Endometriosis is a condition in which the type of tissue that forms the lining of the uterus, the endometrium, is found outside the uterus. End quote. <clears throat> My rage can't fill this box. <laughs> okay, so can you believe it? And so also, I mean, yes, unfortunately, <laughs> we can believe it. You know, they also have misleading information in the treatment section of their FAQs for endometriosis. So really, this is an example of what we are up against here in the endometriosis community. We are advocating, we are fighting to try to get taken seriously, to try to get proper treatment to try to get diagnosed faster, to try to get endometriosis to be a subspecialty where gynecologists can really focus on the ins and out of endometriosis without also having to juggle delivering babies and doing pap smears and other common OBGYN activities. And the leading professional organization in the United States, ACOG, does not even have the definition of endometriosis correct on their website. It's just so frustrating. It's so, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. It's so disturbing. It's so disappointing. And there was a petition a couple of years ago that was sent to ACOG, and it was to make updates to these FAQs. And it was signed by people in the endometriosis community, both by patients and advocates and excision surgeons alike. And leaders in the field even rewrote the FAQs for them, which you know what I'm going to go ahead and link in the show notes for this episode. So the FAQs, the current FAQs on the ACOG website, and I'll also link the rewritten FAQs. It's interesting to see the difference. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but even after being sent that petition and that new rewrite of the FAQs, unfortunately, ACOG did not update their FAQs, even though there's information on there, like the definition, that is just blatantly wrong. I guess they think they know better. <laughs> hmm. Funny. And so that's the thing. Like, is it any wonder that we're being misled in our treatments for endometriosis, that the gold standard, which is excision surgery, is so inaccessible? Like, there, this, the whole thing has this trickle-down effect that affects us as patients when doctors and medical literature 
and leading professional medical organizations cannot even get the basic facts around the disease correct. So I think we all know how endometriosis makes us feel and works at this point. We know how the playground bully works. But what we don't know is how the endometrium works. What does it do? What even is it? Why do people keep talking about it as if it's what endo is? (laughs) I digress. So (laughs) the endometrium is the lining of our uterus. Tell me something I don't know, Brittany. And I will tell you what. <laughs> okay, hi. I feel all. I, so I feel all inferior You're fired and snappy up. right now. You're fired I am up, all, I'm, I Okay, I'm gonna zip it. Zip it, Amy. I'm sorry. That was take a breath. That was not help. I just have so much rage right now. I, know. I just oh, I can't. Yes, please. We'll let you release the do rage. Please do tell us what the endometrium is, because I actually okay. don't have too much of a clue. All I know is that it comes out of my vagina via blood every twenty five days, and that it's not now. endometriosis, <laughs> and that it's not endometriosis. Yes, yes. Okay, so the endometrium is the lining of our uterus, and it undergoes changes during the month through various processes, some of which are proliferation, differentiation, apoptosis, and then tissue breakdown and regeneration. What are (laughs) you talking about? Science. Oh, I, I wasn't going to explain it. I thought everybody would just understand what those... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're going to talk about it right now. <laughs> so, Brittany, what if you start explaining what you mean and you start with proliferation? Oh, my gosh. That's exactly where I was going to start. It's almost like you read my mind. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So, proliferation. So, during a menstrual cycle, the days between the person's period and ovulation is called the proliferative phase. Ah, so you mean like in a regular, let's say like in a quote-unquote average menstrual cycle of Mm -hmm. 28 days. (laughs) A regular, what does it mean? Can you imagine being regular? (laughs) What does it mean to be regular? I don't know. If you have a regular menstrual cycle, which is like, you know, comes as it's supposed to, you are blessed. (laughs) (laughs) I used to before excision and (sighs) after losing my ovary, I do not. I feel like I never have. (laughs) I can't pinpoint a time in my life where my period was like, yes, we're going to do what we're supposed to. (laughs) Mine used to come for years and years every Friday afternoon wow every four weeks every 28 days and that saved pretty amazing that (laughs) saved me because then i had the weekend to be completely debilitated Mm -hmm. but so you're saying in in like a let's just say a regular average a regular old (laughs) menstrual cycle of 28 days Mm -hmm. the proliferative phase would be after my period ends in my case day five to day 14 correct and what's happening in the proliferative Wait, I think I know because proliferation means multiplying in numbers. Rapidly. Oh, wow. Also, peak. I wish I could proliferate. <laughs> no. We don't I need wish more I 80s. could multiply in numbers rapidly. I'd have like five of me want to be doing the dishes, want to be doing the <laughs> Okay, dusting, that'd be pretty nice. Want to be with just hanging out, relaxing. That'd be the original me. <laughs> the original It'd be all my proliferation relaxes. clones that would be doing all the going to my workplace. Hey, people who are working on cloning, have you looked into <laughs> proliferation? <laughs> Check out the endometrium because that thing proliferates. Because I'm about to teach you something about how to do that. <laughs> so, yes, that is the proliferative phase. During the proliferative phase, the estrogen levels are rising and the endometrium is regenerating or proliferating, multiplying and Why is growing. It doing that? Well, you just had your period. It just oh, shed. It just okay. went. Just came out, out of my vagina. <laughs> now it's like, I got to grow back. Yes. I got to exactly. proliferate. It's got to make the home again. Oh, the home of endometrium. It's got to line the uterus again. <laughs> okay. So that's what it's doing. 
So the epithelial cells of the endometrium proliferate and multiply and go back into lining our uterus. Okay. So that was the endometrium. Yes. To be clear. Not endometriosis. No. The endometrium. So contrarily, most endometriosis has very little epithelium and is primarily made from stroma cells. Stroma cells are not epigenetically programmed to proliferate extensively. So while the endometrium has the cells proliferating rapidly, the endometriosis does not. I'll just note here that the endometrium also has stroma cells, too. One study has shown that there is much less proliferation in peritoneal endometriosis tissue. Ooh! Taken from the pouch of Douglas. Thank you, Douglas. I briefly recall that we renamed that the pouch of Amy. We did, the pouch of Amy. (laughs) (laughs) But to be accurate, the pouch of Douglas Amy. Fine The pouch of Amy Douglas. (laughs) (laughs) So the study showed that there was much less proliferation in the peritoneal endotissue from the pouch of Amy Douglas. The broad ligament or the uterosacral ligament, than in normal uterine lining. Oh, so when, the, when this study compared peritoneal mm-hmm. endometriosis from those regions to the endometrium, the endometrium had more proliferation, the endometriosis had less proliferation. Correct. Less multiplication of Much cells. Much less. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, wait a minute. So not the same? Not the same. Because they're not the same? <laughs> not the same. Ooh, wow. Okay. It's a miracle. And there have also been some studies comparing ovarian endometrioma stroma cells to healthy endometrial cells that have found a considerably reduced proliferation capacity of ovarian endometrioma stromal cells. Ooh, tongue twister there. And there may have been more studies. You know, we don't know about all of the studies. We don't know all studies in existence. (laughs) But these are some of the studies that we've seen. So there is an exception because, you know, of course there is. The exception is that abdominal wall endo. So that's like the endo you could get in a surgical scar. That could have a higher rate of proliferation. But basically, the proliferation is much less important to the pathology of endometriosis than compared to conditions like endometrial cancer or uterine fibroids. Got it, Brittany. So, to start off our investigation. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Sherlock and Sleuthing. Watson are back. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> oh, little mouse Sherlock. Aww, oh, bring so it sweet. back. <laughs> to start off our investigation on why endo and the endometrium are different. The proliferation. The proliferation. <laughs> the proliferation of the two tissues is different. So the next thing that we want to talk about is differentiation. After ovulation, the endometrium undergoes decidualization. Decidualization is the differentiation of elongated, fibroblast-like mesenchymal cells in the uterine stroma to round epithelioid-like cells. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) You lost me so much. I'm so lost. What the heck does any of that mean? I don't know. No, 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 I do. Okay. So basically, these are functional and morphological changes to endometrial stroma cells. Okay? And this is to prepare the endometrium for potential pregnancy. And these changes are in response to rising progesterone levels. Conversely, endometriosis typically has deficient differentiation and decidualization of the stroma cell. 
So while the endometrium is having differentiation and decidualization of the stroma cell, the endometriosis typically is deficient mm. in this. So they're doing two completely different things. Very different. Two completely re- different reactions. Very, very different. So it's not having those functional morphological changes in its stroma cells, typically. And so this has actually been linked to progesterone resistance, because as we said, these are in response to rising progesterone levels. And we're going to talk more about progesterone resistance in detail in the next episode, part two. So we'll just really leave that there. The long and short is they do something different with the same (laughs) stimulus. So, oh, wait, once more. Ooh, wait a minute. Endometriosis (laughs) is not acting like the endometrium. Not even close. (laughs) The only thing they have in common is the first couple letters of their names. (laughs) That's it. Okay, so the next phase we're going to talk about is apoptosis. Apoptosis? Fun words. Yep. like popcorn. I was going to say, are there toasts? The, are they going to pop up in the toaster? Popping toes. So apoptosis is not as fun as popcorn. That's fine. <laughs> but it is called programmed cell death. Oh. So the word apoptosis comes from the Greek root word meaning fall off or falling off. Ooh. Like leaves from a tree. Except, except the cells are falling off from the other cells and then breaking apart and then being gobbled up by the immune system in nom, their, <laughs> their program cell death. Yes, exactly. So some studies have shown that endometriosis is much less sensitive to apoptosis compared to the endometrium. Surprise, surprise. Not surprising at all. <laughs> endometriosis wants to live it wants Forever. to live on in the body it's like programmed cell death leaving you i don't think so why do that when i why would stay i leave with you forever this is comfortable i'm being fed and i'm warm <laughs> and it's beautiful here <laughs> rude can't even evict it well we can't evict it but it takes a lot it takes an excision surgeon <laughs> okay so the endometrium is divided into the functional layer which is the part that's shed during menstruation, and the lower base or basalis layer, which is not shed. Ah, basalis layer for base. Yeah, it's helpful. I love when science does clever things. (laughs) You're like, this makes sense. Okay. It sounds like a word I know. (laughs) I can understand what's happening. Exactly. So we explained that the endometrial tissue from the functional layer, the layer that sheds, proliferates in the first half of the menstrual cycle. So it grows, it multiplies, it regenerates. When it's time to menstruate, the functional layer becomes necrotic and hypoxic. Oh, what's that? Which means suffocating. It's lacking in oxygen. Ooh. And so it's it, getting ready to come out. It sheds. Uh, it's preparing to come out of the vagina. Yes, it's ready to blade. So evidence suggests that apoptosis is an important biologic process involved in this late secretory phase of the menstrual cycle. That makes sense. So apoptosis is high in the endometrium epithelial cells while cell proliferation is low. So this makes sense. If you think cell proliferation is high, it's growing, it's regenerating when the first half of your menstrual cycle then during the second half, that lowers down. That's right. It's not ready to grow anymore. It's getting ready to it's shed. It's getting ready to come out and shed. So it's starting to have its programmed cell death. So when apoptosis is high, proliferation is low. And then when proliferation is high, apoptosis is low. Okay. 
that all made sense to me, and that was talking about the endometrium. Yes, the endometrial okay. lining, the endometrium. So the endometrium in just, let's say, a average menstrual cycle <laughs> of 28 days that we're all wishing we could have, and most of us probably don't. <laughs> I want my 28-day cycle back. <laughs> now it's all like 21, 24, 19. I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> pick a day. Just pick one. <laughs> and can you take a little longer to come? Why are you coming so frequently? But let's, in my old, far from perfect, but at least perfectly timed menstrual cycle of 28 days. So you're saying as the menstrual cycle is going on, it's getting closer to day 28, getting closer to the time for the blood to shed, the tissues preparing to be shed, proliferation obviously goes down, way down, and apoptosis becomes more important, and that programmed cell death starts to happen. Exactly. Oh, I get it. I'm in it. my proliferative phase right now. Oh, <laughs> I'm in my... I have no idea. <laughs> I think you're in your proliferative phase as well. I think I am because I haven't <laughs> ovulated yet. So yes, yes I am. Yes. <laughs> so tell me about endometriosis. What happens in endometriotic tissue? So Let me guess. <laughs> I think you're probably going to guess accurately. Not the same thing. Because <laughs> it's not the no endometrium. No surprised here. Ooh, ooh, wow. <laughs> not shockingly, but maybe shockingly to some of the medical professionals. <laughs> In the endometriotic tissue, several studies have actually been done that show that apoptosis is impaired in the endometriotic tissue. Okay. And then by endometriotic... Oh, my God. These episodes are tongue twisters. <laughs> and by endometriotic tissue, we're talking about endometriosis exactly. tissue. Mm -hmm. So there's the endometriosis and endometrium. Yes. And then... There's, There's endometrial and endometriotic. Woo! So endometrial <laughs> tissue is from the uterine lining. Yes. And endometriotic tissue is endometriosis. Exactly. My goodness. We will try to keep it as clear as we can because it <laughs> is confusing. And if you're confused, that's totally normal. <laughs> oh my we know God. what we're talking about and we are still confused sometimes. <laughs> Various studies have been done on apoptosis. And some studies have not shown that apoptosis is impaired, while some studies have. And I think this is a really good example of how studies can have differences in the outcome depending on many different factors. So there are different methods for assessing apoptosis. And then additionally, depending on the endometriotic tissue, so the endometriosis tissue that was selected, that could also have a different outcome. So you know, was the endometriotic tissue selected, was it peritoneal lesion tissue, like superficial endometriosis from the peritoneum? Or was it an endometrioma cell wall tissue? And then what was the control tissue that the researchers were using to compare the endometriosis against? Like, were they looking at endometrium from a person with endometriosis? Or were they looking at the endometrium from a person without endometriosis? Because the endometrium in some people with endometriosis has been shown to have differences, some differences, from the endometrium in people without endometriosis. Oof. So it's getting really complicated. Or were they looking at the endometrium from people without endo, but with infertility? Because oftentimes the endometrium of some with infertility could be considered abnormal in terms of cell adhesion receptors. And so all of these different factors come into play on how the research study was done and conducted and the methods and the control tissues and the tissues in question. And so all of that can come together 
to influence the outcome of the results of the study. This is a really good reminder that while everything that we're reporting in this episode and then in the next week's episode, part two's episode on how endometriosis is not the endometrium, you know, what is true for one endometriotic tissue doesn't mean that it is necessarily true for a different endometriotic tissue. Every type of endometriotic tissue must be seen as its own individual person, (laughs) and it cannot be like any of the others. It is special. It is its own snowflake. Please do not compare or generalize them. They will get extra angry. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the different types of endometriosis in the different locations, they can have differing biological factors. And so the majority of studies for many aspects of endometriosis, especially I think comparisons of endometriosis and the endometrium, they have been done on endometriomas and on peritoneal lesions. So, you know, it raises the question of does all of this information apply to, for example, deep endometriosis nodules in the rectum? Does it apply to endometriosis on the lung? for example. And so personally, Brittany and I, like, we don't know. (laughs) So it's always a good idea to take all of this info into account, like knowing that results from studies can depend on various factors. And so lesion types, as we said, they can have different biological factors to them. We linked two studies in the show notes on apoptosis, but basically one study compared peritoneal endotissue taken from the pouch of Douglas the broad ligament, or the uterosacral ligament, and it compared that with the normal uterine lining. And it found that the endometriotic tissue had impaired apoptosis. This is the same study that we mentioned earlier on the reduced proliferation activity in those endometriotic tissues. And here's another difference, another, another difference. There's more? (laughs) But wait, there's more. Between endo and endometrium. So, you know, Brittany explained that in the endometrium, the rate of proliferation and apoptosis vary depending on where the person is in their menstrual cycle. But in this study with this peritoneal tissue, the endometriotic tissue did not present cyclic variation in either proliferation or apoptosis. Another difference I never thought I would see the day where there was more things to think about. Endo doesn't respond to hormones in the predictable fashion that the endometrium does. Who's surprised? I'm not surprised. (laughs) So other studies have shown the same findings, showing that spontaneous apoptosis of pelvic endometriotic tissue was significantly lower than that occurring in endometrial tissue from fertile healthy controls, completely independent of the menstrual cycle phase. So just to sum up what we've learned about apoptosis is that we know some studies have shown that in endometriotic tissue, apoptosis is impaired. So two very different experiences with apoptosis when comparing endometriotic tissue and endometrial tissue. So once more, what we learned is that in many cases, endometriotic tissues do not act like The endometrium. Because they are not the same. (laughs) (laughs) Because. 
They're not the same yes. tissue. Correct. Different names. Close. Very close names. Confusingly names. similar, but <laughs> very different reactions in the body. Now we're on to the next part of the endometrium's process. The tissue breakdown. Na, 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 na. No. <laughs> I guess I'm you today. <laughs> wow. Is that what I normally sound like? Yes. I'm kind of annoying then. <laughs> I've been trying to tell you that for years. <laughs> By acting like me, you've convinced me. Oh, good. <laughs> I think it's, I guess it's like if the endometrium started acting like endometriosis, it would also be convinced yes, that yeah. the endometriosis is i'm confused now (laughs) you're not annoying you're just just uniquely you and i enjoy it i'm so confused (laughs) tissue breakdown well what do you mean by tissue breakdown as we know the endometrium as Brittany explained it has the functional layer and the functional layer during menstruation sheds which means all of that blood comes running or clumping or gushing or clotting out of our vagina yeah Dirtying our underwear. (laughs) And our souls. (laughs) And our sheets. And our bathrobes and our towels. But that's the way it is. Potentially the cat if we're not wearing underwear and we're standing up naked. And the cat's running underneath our legs at that exact moment and a clump falls out. Our light switches. (laughs) If Amy, you know, has her her watery blood, then she just flings it onto the light switches in the other room. You know, standard. My bathroom looks like a massacre after I get my period. (laughs) It's a crime scene. I hose that thing down. You think I'm joking, but I'm not. <laughs> I used to wear a shirt when I was in college as a joke every time I had my period. And it was like a shirt that I got at giving blood, which I wasn't allowed to give blood, but I still got a shirt. And it said, got blood, like the old got milk advertisement. So every time I had my period, I wore my got blood shirt because it made me smile. What if you got a tattoo of a vampire's mouth, like right on your inner thigh near your vagina? And you're like, this is what it's like. <laughs> Except I don't get to live forever. My endometriotic tissue does. (laughs) It's just like Dracula fangs. You get a new partner and your partner's like, um, why? What is that odd fang? Why do you have teeth there? (laughs) Why are there teeth on your inner thigh? That's just for my tissue breakdown. (laughs) (laughs) It's a sign. It's a way for me to respect the tissue breakdown. (laughs) Oh, my. Also, wait, this is so funny, but I was listening to this podcast and It was like an interview show and the person came on and they were going to talk about their pelvic pain and different things. It wasn't an endometriosis podcast. It was just like a health podcast. The person was so sweet and she said, oh, um, I hope I don't make anyone uncomfortable, but I'm going to talk about between my legs now. And she was going to talk about vulvodynia. But it was just so funny to me because I was like, wow, me and Brittany, like. <laughs> All we do is talk about what yeah, happens between our legs. I understand because, like, in the average conversation, it's, you know. Still a little taboo. Yeah, and people don't really talk about that, and it can be very embarrassing. So I'm. this is not any disrespect towards her and, you know, her vulnerability and opening up about these very intimate parts of her body. That is not about that. It's It was about the comparison of, like, Brittany and I just, like. <laughs> Me thinking, like, if I was on that podcast, I'd be so... And then my labia, my vagina skin, <laughs> my tattoo of Dracula's mouth on Sometimes my inner thigh. I forget that it's not common conversation, and I'll say something to a friend, and they won't react poorly, but they'll just react a little bit in shock about how much I'm talking about the process of my vagina and what my peritoneum is and what my... And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, sorry, I forgot. This isn't just average conversation. I'm just so glad we have this podcast so we can just openly be like, blood, clots, 
fall into Dracula's fangs in between my legs. And, and we just <laughs> talked about blood squirting and squelching out of our bodies. I mean, thank you for being here for that visual. <laughs> thank you for being on this open and vulnerable ride with us. Add your own adjective. I'm sure it will feel liberating. <laughs> I'm going to use gushing for now. All right. Tissue breakdown. By tissue breakdown, what we mean is menstruation. Oh. And although many websites incorrectly state this, and although some doctors incorrectly believe this, endometriosis does not bleed and shed with your period. Because it is not the endometrium. And then that blood has nowhere to go. Because it's not the endometrium. (laughs) So as we know, the actual true endometrium, like the real thing, as Brittany explains so wonderfully, it has the functional layer that sheds during menstruation. Endometriosis does not have the functional layer or the basalis layer that Brittany spoke so eloquently about, by the way. Oh, she's being so nice to me. It does not have the basalis and the functional layer. Because it's not the endometrium. (laughs) So it does not slough and shed. Because it's not the endometrium. (laughs) (laughs) So if endometriosis were to slough off, ooh, I feel like I just, I feel like it's a new swear Slough word. off! Slough <laughs> off endometriosis! I like that. I like that. So, okay. So by slough off, my goodness, we mean like break <laughs> off and shed. So if endometriosis were to slough off. Which it should. <laughs> my God. It should go slough off. It won't because it doesn't have apoptosis. No, nope, no. It won't because it lives forever. Program cell death. It will keep on living on. It's like some of my tissue is not even capable of sloughing off. I'm like, okay. Okay, this makes sense. But if endometriosis were to slough off, if it were to shed, it could not regenerate itself like the endometrium does during the proliferation stage of the menstrual cycle, as Brittany so beautifully explained, which means that if it were to slough off, the disease would actually cure itself. A miracle. Oh, my God. So we do want it to slough off. We really want it to slough off. off endometriosis. <laughs> Please learn how to have apoptosis and continue to not proliferate so you can slough the heck off. <laughs> As we know, endometriosis has glands and stroma. I just got a flashback of when we first introduced it. We were like, and glands, and stroma, and glands, and stroma. <laughs> my other musical number. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We love musicals. All right, so what do glands do? They secrete stuff. Ooh, Brittany. <laughs> That's such a gross word, secrete. Gross. Some people hate the word moist. That doesn't bother me, but secrete? Ooh. <laughs> so as we know, our saliva glands secrete. <laughs> saliva. Okay. Our sweat glands secrete sweat. Our pineal glands secrete. Pine? No, Brittany. Oh. They make melatonin. <laughs> oh, okay, that's better. <laughs> and on and on. We have our thyroid glands, our adrenal glands. What do glands do? Secrete stuff. That's right. They put out secretions. <laughs> oh, that sounds... Keep it G-rated. It's gross. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me put that in another way. They produce and release chemicals that perform certain functions in the body. That's way better. Thank you. Yes. So glands don't bleed. So what about endometriosis, which is not the endometrium? Endometriosis secretes something inflammatory that is yet to be identified. Oh, come on. Of course it hasn't been. It's a mystery. Let's get on on unsolved mysteries. Goodness gracious. (laughs) So this secretion 
this unknown, mysterious secretion, these, <laughs> these chemicals. So these chemicals can irritate the surrounding tissue and it can destabilize the capillaries in the surrounding tissue, causing bleeding in the surrounding tissue. Just to note, not all endometriosis causes nearby capillaries to bleed. But this bleeding and inflammation can cause an immune response, such as the formation of scar tissue, adhesions, new blood cells to grow in the surrounding tissue, inflammation, and pain. And we have some pretty scientific episodes coming up on this process, so stay tuned. It's what we all want to know, but also wish didn't exist. (laughs) As we explained in the last episode, endometriosis has hormone receptors, but these don't respond to hormones in the same predictable way that the endometrium does. Because again, not the same thing. (laughs) So this bleeding in the surrounding tissues, it can be non-cyclical. It can be cyclical. It can be unpredictable. Or there can be no bleeding at all. It's a variety. Your endo could be doing any one of multiple things in the body to the surrounding tissue. It's anyone's guess. (laughs) Cyclical bleeding, non-cyclical bleeding, unpredictable bleeding, no bleeding. Isn't that just all unpredictable? Can we just just say it's all unpredictable? (laughs) Endometriosis is the unpredictable bully in the playground. This makes a lot of sense. And when we see it, we run away screaming. We wish we could run away. (laughs) We can't. (laughs) Endometriosis does not bleed like a period. It does not slough off, even though we wish it would. (laughs) Slough off, endometriosis. Slough off and bleed out. (laughs) Also, try to say that out loud. Slough off. Slough off. It feels good. Yeah, slough off. That's going to be my new. People are like, what the heck is slough off? I'd be like, it means shed and get out of here. Endometriosis. It's what your endometrium does, and it's what we wish endometriosis would do. And they'll be like, like, I don't understand. Now I really don't know what this conversation is about, and I'm out of here. Endometri, what? (laughs) And then they walk away. And they, yes, you sloughed off. (laughs) They walk away. They're like, note to self, never engage in conversation with Amy again. (laughs) Surprised anybody talks to you at this point. (laughs) Instead of engaging conversation with Amy, stand awkwardly at the microwave as we wait for food to warm up. (laughs) And ask her how her sloughing is going. (laughs) Terrible! (laughs) Okay, so the endometriosis does not slough and it does not bleed like a period. But, because there's always a but with endometriosis, and I don't just mean your rectum. In this case, I might, though, because (laughs) there can be bleeding during the menstrual cycle because of the capillaries. So things like cyclical nosebleeds or cyclical rectal bleeding. I told you I was going to talk about it, but. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone loves a little bit of good old cyclical rectal bleeding. Mm -hmm. The pad in the front, the pad in the back. Yeah. I just want to (laughs) have underwear at this point. The double towel on the chair. (laughs) (laughs) The towel on the bed. The towel that you. Just sit in the darn bathtub and free bleed for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) They should make clothes. It's like a new style. You have. You have a skirt, but then you have a towel, a removable towel you can put in with Velcro or buttons. That is to how the, back the original of the skirt. menstrual belts were. Oh. That's what it was. It was a belt, and you snapped the fabric in, and it went all the way up the back. Wow. That's an original menstrual belt. So you snap it what, Look, to your... Look, we've come full circle. <laughs> so you snap it to your belly, and then you, like, snap yeah, it was the a belt, belt to you your put legs. put the belt on, and you would snap or Velcro or tie the fabric underneath you. Ooh. Yeah, we've come full vintage. Well, I want it. (laughs) I think that'd be really nice. It'd be kind of like the outside towel diaper. It would chafe less. Mm. 
The chafing. You could get in all <laughs> kinds of really beautiful fabrics. You're like, oh, today I'm in the mood for the cat fabric. And tomorrow I'm in the mood for Blue the with Japanese daisies. fan print. <laughs> <laughs> Trendy. <laughs> so most of you know Wendy from Extra Pelvic Not Rare. And she actually wrote a really interesting blog post about cyclical bleeding. And Amy will link that in her beautiful show notes. Thank you. In 16years.com. <laughs> Any notes. chance to plug. <laughs> <laughs> I work really hard in our show notes. And it she has does. had a revamp since I first put it out. So we, As will, all always shout, we will always <laughs> shout work that you have put in from the rooftops. It looks great. So I mentioned cyclical nosebleeds, which Wendy talks about. And endo in the nose is quite rare. And there are way more common causes to cyclical nosebleeds than endo, one of which is that the mucosa inside the nose is sensitive to hormonal changes. Of course it is. Is every tissue in our bodies sensitive to hormonal <laughs> yes, changes? Yes, essentially. Essentially, yes. My goodness. <laughs> Why? Because it always is. <laughs> it's also sensitive. Well, because this mucosa is so sensitive to the hormonal changes, when the estrogen goes down, the capillaries in our nose are more likely to break and therefore bleed. Oh, so when estrogen goes down when the menstrual cycle hits. Mm. So it doesn't have to necessarily be because of endo. It can just be that that is what happens to our capillaries when there is a change or decline in the estrogen in our hormone cycle. Oh, so maybe with cyclical rectal bleeding... It could be something similar. Exactly. And due to the hormone changes, even if you have rectal endometriosis, it could be these hormonal changes that are increasing inflammation or making the capillaries more fragile mm -hmm. that could cause the bleeding. Yeah. So ultimately, the point is, is that endometriosis itself doesn't bleed. It can cause the capillaries around where it is to bleed. However, Cyclical bleeding, in this case, the nosebleed or rectal bleeding, can be because of other hormonal changes causing the weakening of the capillaries. So that's why it's interesting. And Wendy does mention in her article a couple more reasons for cyclical nosebleeds besides the change in estrogen levels. So if you're interested or you have cyclical nosebleeds, that's a really nice article to check out. We have learned. That even though a ton of websites erroneously say that endometriosis sheds and bleeds like a period, it doesn't. It does not. <laughs> Brittany, does endometriosis bleed and shed like a period? No. Amy, does endometriosis slough and shed and have nowhere to go? No. Brittany, let me ask you in pig Latin. Okay. Which I don't know. <laughs> Do you remember Pig Latin when you were a kid? Isn't it like do and don't you like switch the syllables? You're like I don't remember. Let me ask you backwards. Okay. Period of like shed and bleed endo does on. <laughs> Is that backwards for no? Yes. <laughs> but regardless, no, 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 no is the answer to all these questions. No matter how many times we're asked, no answer is no. <laughs> No, endometriosis does not. And it doesn't slough off like a period and have nowhere to go. It's not just like hanging around in our bodies like, like hey, <laughs> um, I excuse me, I'm endometriotic tissue and nobody told me where to go on my first day. And I'm not really sure what to do. <laughs> you're so I'm just, just going to hang out. You're just standing there with like all of your books on the first day of class in your little backpack and you're looking so cute and just like your hair is in, I don't know, pigtails because that's just what I imagine. <laughs> so what you wore for your first day of school. I never had pigtails, but like... <laughs> 
<laughs> I just want to go back and dream that I did. Okay. I had pigtails and like cute little shoes. Yeah, right. I was the I was I was really into Tweety Bird when I was. <laughs> oh wow! And I had like you were one real, of those. And I had really big hair <laughs> that my mom like had no idea what to do with. So. Yeah, the late I was, 80s were I a was wild made fun time. Of yeah. <laughs> and I had really big bangs and people with curly hair. With bangs. Ooh, that's a combo. <laughs> yeah, at least with my curly hair should not have had bangs. That's a combo. Frizzball hair central. Oh. Tweety bird. So let me imagine my pigtails. Okay. My cute little outfit. Like Aww. just looking cute, feeling lost, being like, I'm into me You're in a sea of people. And I have no idea where to go. No. That never happened. Well, that never happened because it's not true. (laughs) And it never will. (laughs) All this fantasy for nothing. (laughs) So, Amy, I have a question for you. Is it really such a big deal that ACOG or doctors or patients think that endo is the endometrium? Is it really that big of a deal? Because, I mean, like, it doesn't affect me. It still hurts. It's still my period. I still have pain regardless of what they think the definition is. Well, Brittany, says Amy as she flips her pigtails about. (laughs) Hair flip? I want pigtails. Okay. I'll give you pigtails after the episode. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's true that endometriosis causes us hell, whether we think it's tissue similar to the uterine lining, whether we think it's tissue that is the uterine lining, whether we think it's tissue paper. Or a banana. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If you have a banana in your abdomen, like a full-on banana, Please go to the doctor. Oh, okay. I'll be back. Bye. (laughs) Please go to the doctor right now. (laughs) I don't even like bananas. What is it doing here? If you think endometriosis is a banana covered in tissue paper, then I don't know how to help you. (laughs) (laughs) Call 911 immediately. (laughs) Please message us so we can have a conversation. (laughs) Okay. Of course, it is important because endometriosis and the endometrium, as we've just explained with many different ways, act differently. And as we're going to continue explaining in part two of this episode, the science part, they act differently. And so this has implications for our treatment options. So you're saying that it is important that the definition is correct and that everybody knows it's correct. It's vital. Because that directly influences the type of care and the way that we receive treatment. Directly. Precisely. For someone with a banana in your abdomen, you really seem to get it, Brittany. Thank you, me and Mr. (laughs) Nana. Thank you. Mr. (laughs) Nana. (laughs) So for starters, well, let's talk about the treatment option of progestins. Progestins are synthetic hormones. So you probably have heard of progestins or maybe you've heard of progesterone. Progesterone is the natural hormone and progestin is the synthetic hormone. So many doctors are prescribing progestins to patients for endometriosis. So these could be things like the Mirena IUD, Vizan, Dianagest, Depo-Provera. And so some people do find that their symptoms diminish when they're on a progestin. Which is wonderful because any diminishment of our symptoms is a good thing and we celebrate that. Absolutely. If you can find a way to diminish your symptoms, then that is really wonderful. And especially because these treatments, like these kind of, typically these are birth controls. And so birth controls typically have a lower side effect profile. And they tend to be more tolerable for the patient than something like 
GnRH drugs, you know, like Lupron or Elisa or Zolodex, etc. So that sounds positive. Why are we bringing it up as if it's maybe not so positive? So the problem is that many doctors are telling patients that their endometriosis won't progress while on progestins, or they're even telling patients that the endometriosis will shrink or dry up or be treated by progestins. And this simply is not true. Endometriosis can progress on any hormonal medications, progestins included. So... Where does that idea come from, then, that it will dry up or cease the progression of endometriosis? I mean, I don't know, like, specifically where that came from, but I think that it probably has to do with the idea of how progestins work on the endometrium. Which is why it's important (laughs) to get the definition right. This makes sense. This makes a lot of sense. I've heard before that certain birth controls, specifically progestins, when you take them for a long time, your bleeding, if you have it, is very diminished because the endometrium thins or atrophies. Oftentimes, yes. In the endometrium, the role of progesterone, the naturally occurring hormone, the role of progesterone in the endometrium, it has a protective role in endometrial cancer, for example. And as we said, endometrial cancer is characterized by the epithelial proliferation, the multiplication of all those cells. So that's why when people take HRT and they have a uterus and they're taking estrogen, (laughs) I feel like that was a lot there. But so when people with a uterus that are taking estrogen with HRT, they're often given progesterone as well. Because progesterone balances out that proliferative effect of estrogen on the epithelial growth of the endometrial tissue. So you see, like, progesterone has an anti-estrogenic effect on the endometrium. But progesterone does not have the same effect on endometriosis. No surprises there at this point. And we're going to talk about that next week in part two. But as we know, endometriosis is not the endometrium. And so progesterone's role in endometriosis is not so cut and dry. We wish it could be cut and dry, (laughs) up by progestins. (laughs) They say it's doing it, but it's not, and I wish it did. (laughs) Well, exactly. I mean, endolesions are not primarily composed of epithelial cells, but rather of stromal cells, right? And we said that studies have shown that these stromal cells can have diminished apoptosis and diminished differentiation in contrast to the endometrium. And then additionally, studies have shown that endometriotic tissues can actually produce significant quantities of progesterone, but they express significantly lower levels of progesterone receptors when compared to the endometrium. And so next week, we're going to talk about the progesterone resistance, the resistance of of endometriosis (laughs) with progesterone. And so for all of these different reasons, progestin-based treatments, they're not acting, the progestin is not going in and acting on the endometriosis tissue the same way that it goes in and acts on the endometrial tissue. And so progestin treatments, they don't help everyone with their pain. And some people even have their symptoms increase on progesterone-based treatments. Because of these reasons and more, 
researchers are really still trying to understand progesterone's role in endometriosis. But one thing is for sure is that endometriosis can still progress while taking progestins. And it does not dry up or disappear on it either. So the next treatment option that's often given as a result of the definition of endometriosis being incorrect or unclear is a hysterectomy. Well, sorry. I mean, the definition is not really unclear. No, to these people. (laughs) To these people. So it's more like mm, ignorance? (laughs) Yes. I suppose it's understandable why. For the doctor. For these doctors. But it's disgraceful on ACOG. But it's, it's disgraceful in general that the medical literature cannot get up to date on something so basic as Mm -hmm. the definition of endometriosis. And because doctors are told or think that endometriosis comes from the uterus leaking bits of its endometrium. Oh, you mean retrograde menstruation? Yes. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Well, and again, I feel like that would make sense. Like if you were taught that endometriosis is the endometrium, my God, doesn't that make so much sense? Absolutely. Oh, how did the endometrium get outside of the uterus? Retrograde where menstruation. Where it should be mm-hmm. inside. Like, it all makes it sense. It makes logical so sense, all of yes. these things make sense. If you start with the wrong definition, it trickles down. It's all a domino to, effect. You know, oh, well, then this never proven theory of origin. Well, that makes sense. Oh, this treatment option of hysterectomy, remove the source of the endometriosis. That makes sense too. None of that is correct, but it but all I can makes see the logical sense. chain. It yes. all makes sense, and that's all stemming from having the basic definition wrong, which is why it's so important. Yeah, the idea makes sense. You take out the source. The source is the uterus, but because that's not actually correct, the treatment option of hysterectomy isn't a cure for endometriosis. The most difficult part about this treatment option or being recommended for this is if a hysterectomy does happen and the uterus is removed, but the endometriosis itself is not treated because a hysterectomy does not treat endometriosis, then that endometriosis remains, which means that symptoms can still be prevalent. You can still experience pain, which is heartbreaking because having gone through a surgery to be told that this would resolve your issues and it doesn't because it doesn't treat the endometriosis, is a really difficult experience to have. And especially having to go back to your doctor and explain that your symptoms are still persistent, but they believe that that should be the removal of all of your symptoms and your disease and you're now cured, that's really difficult to go on to your next level of treatment. It's almost impossible to have a conversation when your doctor is misinformed about how the endometriosis is in your body. And that's why it's so crucial that the definition is correct and that doctors truly understand what is actually going on because your endometriosis may still be causing you excruciating symptoms. And of course, there could be a place for a hysterectomy in your treatment, such as if you have adenomyosis or if there are other reasons why, like your uterus could be causing you pain. And so this, of course, is on an individual basis, and this is something to discuss with your qualified endospecialist. So there may be a place in your treatment for hysterectomy. But what Brittany here is referring to is like what happened with my first gynecologist, who I'll give her credit that she was the first person in like 14 years, (laughs) yeah, who said that she suspected that I had endometriosis when I told her about my symptoms. but. 
after she said, I think that you have endometriosis, what she suggested to me was that I either go on Lupron or I get a hysterectomy. And so there was no talk about the excision of endometriosis. There was no talk of even ablation of endometriosis. There was just this direct, I think you have endometriosis. If you want, I can perform a hysterectomy. So there was no conversation. Yeah, the difference is a hysterectomy as part of your treatment with somebody who knows what they're talking about with endo is one thing. But a hysterectomy given by a general gynecologist as a purported cure for endometriosis is another thing. And that is not acceptable. And that continues to happen. And that's really devastating. So another way that having the incorrect definition of endometriosis and believing that endometriosis is indeed the endometrium has to do with the idea of medical menopause as treatment for endometriosis. So as we've explained, estradiol, which is the most potent form of estrogen, so estradiol makes the endometrium proliferate and grow during the proliferative phase of the menstrual cycle. Now, we know that endometriosis is considered an estrogen-dependent disease, as we explained in last week's episode. But as we explained in a very long explanation, (laughs) so if you missed that, please go back. But as we explained, it's not so cut and dry that if you take away estradiol, the disease will just disappear. So things like Lupron or Lissa, Zolodex, Cinerel, and other GnRH drugs that can put us into menopause by affecting the estrogen from our ovaries, well, they don't remove endometriosis. They don't dry up endometriosis. Endometriosis doesn't just poof, disappear. They don't clean up endometriosis (laughs) that's left behind. Not a thing. Additionally, endometriosis can still progress even though we're in a low estrogen state from these medications. And these medications are symptom management only. But the problem is that many misinformed doctors don't realize this, and they believe that going into medical menopause will actually cause the endo to dry up and clear up, and, but that's just not true. And since endometriosis is not the endometrium, Endometriosis can still make its own estrogen via aromatase. Sneaky jerk. (laughs) Sloth off, endometriosis. Sloth off. (laughs) I feel like in this episode and the next week's and last week's, we kind of can repeat some of these basic concepts about how endometriosis can make its own estrogen and how endometriosis does not just dry up and disappear when there's a low estrogen state. And it's just because these ideas and myths and misconceptions are so common. You know, they're being told to us on websites by misinformed doctors. And so it's just important to keep hammering home. Like, at least we know that endometriosis is not the endometrium, does not act like the endometrium. We understand that estrogen causes the endometrium to proliferate and progesterone can halt that proliferation of the endometrium. But endometriosis does not work in these same ways ways. And so these treatments that are being suggested or recommended to us by our misinformed doctors, it's a valid symptom management to take progesterone or to go into a low estrogen state if you're looking to hopefully have a way to lower symptoms, lower pain. Again, these medications don't work in everyone. They don't help everyone alleviate their pain. But doctors are not prescribing these 
in many cases as symptom management, which is what they are. They're prescribing them as treatments for endometriosis Mm -hmm. with this impression that endometriosis is going to respond to these treatments the way the endometrium would respond. But the endo and endometrium are not the same. The definition being correct is integral. It's crucial for us actually being recommended treatment options that will help us that allow us to be informed about why or why not a treatment option is right for us. Sometimes we're offered a treatment option and we're misled in what the treatment does. So when I was offered Lupron, I was under the impression that it would stop my endometriosis from progressing, that it would dry up and remove the endometriosis that I had. And so that is a much different expectation of that medication than it being symptom management only, me thinking, oh, if I take this and, you know, okay, it might be intolerable for me and maybe I'm going to have like really difficult symptoms and hot flashes and bone mineral density loss and headaches and these different symptoms, but I'm willing to put up with it because I think it's going to stop my endometriosis from progressing and even even get rid of my endometriosis. Mm -hmm. That's much different than me putting up with side effects, knowing that well, okay, my endo can still progress. My endo is not going anywhere. The endo that I have is going to persist and stay there with its diminished apoptosis. (laughs) (laughs) But my endo is not going to go away by taking this. I'm taking this to treat my symptoms. And then if I find an intolerable, it's like, okay, I'm treating my symptoms. And it's a very short-term option. But I'm having intolerable side effects. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's just changing one health for another. So I personally, you know, no longer want to take this. See, having all the correct information can allow me to make different decisions about my treatment. And that's why the trickle-down problem is such a big issue, is that because what ultimately happens with the definition being wrong and doctors being taught wrong, then the doctors misinform us, which means that treatment options aren't meeting our expectations or could be harming us in certain ways that we're not aware of because the doctor didn't let us know. The trickle-down effect directly affects us 100%. So saying that the definition not being right or not being accurate for ACOG or in most doctors' brains or materials. Or websites or magazine articles or social media. Saying that it's not really a big deal is super, super damaging. And while it may not be a big deal to you, because you may... Brittany is saying you, the medical community, the medical not community. any, I'm like, are you talking to me? <laughs> no, not you. No, the, no. It may not We're be talking a big to deal the... to the medical community. <laughs> there we go. I'll say that right. Well, it may not be a big deal to doctors in the medical community because they are not the people being treated for endometriosis. It is important for us and it is important for our fellow community members because while we may be experiencing diminished symptoms or we may have had excision, which is our gold standard treatment. That doesn't mean that somebody with less access to information or who is in an area where information is is not readily available, they need their doctor to have the proper definition. So it pervades every aspect of this community. And that's why Amy and I feel so strongly that we will always correct when we see this incorrect information. We will always speak up for it because It may not affect us directly now in this moment, but somebody else will be affected by the wrong definition. That could be you listening. It could be somebody else. And that's why it's such a big issue and why it's so important to us. Well, and I see this, too, with things like functional medicine doctors, naturopaths, pelvic floor therapists. 
my previous functional medicine doctor was under the impression that he could cure my endometriosis by balancing out my hormones because he thought endometriosis was the endometrium and we had to have a pretty serious talk and he did not believe me and I was like I'm not paying you to cure my endometriosis I'm paying you for my gut health so please don't ever talk to me about endometriosis again stay in your lane okie dokie stay in your lane this stay is mine. in your lane because your lane is wrong very you, very wrong you're in a ditch on the side of the road and you have no idea you're just still steering the wheel like yeah i'm driving you're in a ditch dude move on but you know i hear different medical individuals not just gynecologists talking about endometriosis thinking it's from the endometrium thinking it's from the uterus making assumptions you know research articles that start with endometriosis is the endometrium from retrograde menstruation. It's like, next, you're wrong. Yeah, it's like, well, there could be good information in this research article, but also a lot of assumptions could How all- can I trust it? Sometimes you're reading and you're like, I see a lot of assumptions being made on the basis of this tissue acts a way that it does not. And so it's just so vital. It's so, so vital that we correctly have the definition of endometriosis. And You know, one last thing about this is that if the doctor believes that endometriosis is the endometrium and subsequently that endometriosis comes from our uterus and then we don't remove the uterus, then in the doctor's mind or in the mind of the, you know, medical professionals or the medical literature, it's kind of pointless to treat endometriosis, right? Like, sure, we could remove endometriosis via excision, but if endometriosis is always going to come back, because it's the endometrium coming from backwards periods, coming from retrograde menstruation, then it's kind of like you want to throw your hands up in the air and shrug your shoulders and be like, well, why treat this disease surgically when it's just going to always come back? Why not just treat it medically and just try to manage our symptoms? And I think that is so dangerous. And that is just another like really, really harmful consequence of believing that endometriosis is the endometrium, is this downstream idea that endometriosis cannot be treated because endometriosis will always come back. So why invest in having surgeons learn excision surgery? Why refer a patient to an excision surgeon? Like, why even tell the patient about that? Why not just try to medically manage our symptoms if it's supposedly, quote-unquote, always coming back because it's the endometrium? And of course, we know that's not true. And we know that endometriosis doesn't always come back. We know that the pelvic cavity is not being reseeded with endometriosis every single month through retrograde menstruation. And we know with statistical data that with excision in the hands of a skilled expert, the data on the recurrence rate and persistent rates of endometriosis is about 7 to 20% that it's coming back. And so that's leaving 80 to 93% of people after excision in which endometriosis is not recurring and not coming back. So this idea is just so harmful to us that endometriosis is the endometrium because we have seen that in the majority of patients, not everyone, unfortunately, but in the high majority of patients, full removal of the disease is possible, recurrence rates are low, and quality of life improves with excision generally and on average. But so many doctors are so reticent to embrace excision because they have the idea that endo will always come back. If we can embrace the idea that endometriosis is not the endometrium, that the recurrence rates are low with excision, and that removing the disease 
gives generally a better patient outcome, better quality of life than symptom management with these heavy medications that can have very serious side effects, our standard of care can move in a different direction and it could help the patients. Excision could become more accessible, more available, more affordable. But if we're getting stuck on endometriosis being the endometrium and retrograde menstruation, I just think it's really hard to push in that direction because there's so many contradictions and just like false beliefs about what that means if endo is the endometrium. So we will say it again for the thousandth time. Endometriosis is not the endometrium. And this matters. It absolutely, truly matters because all of the implications and all of the consequences And all of our recommendations for standards of care and all of the subconscious and conscious beliefs that go along with this belief determine so much of our experience. So it does matter. It's so important that we know the difference and that medical professionals don't just know that they're different and know what that means, but they also understand the implication of what it means that they're different and how to accurately treat and manage our symptoms. I think we see so many people now understanding that endo is not the endometrium, but just slapping the word endometriosis is tissue similar to the endometrium, but then not understanding all the rest. We're still in the same boat. Yeah, catchphrase without understanding doesn't help anything. Exactly. Like knowing like, oh, no, it's wrong to say endo is endometrium. Endo is tissue resembling or tissue similar to But then the medical community, like, not catching up with all the implications of, well, if it's not the endometrium, that means X, Y, Z for us, for our treatment, for the disease origins. That's why it's so important to understand, to fully comprehend and understand the gravity of the fact that endo is not the endometrium. Period. (laughs) Not the bloody period. Unintended. In the next episode, in part two, we're going to get really sciencey and we're going to talk about exactly what like all these hormone receptors and all these different protein functions and protein levels are in the endometrium compared to endometriosis. So we're really excited about that. So stay tuned for that. Getting the nitty gritty. Ooh. So thank you so much for listening today and joining us on this journey. Everyone, let's just say together right now that endometriosis is not the endometrium. Three, two, one. Endometriosis is not the endometrium. Now we all call our regular old gynecologists. And, and we, we let them know. <laughs> and we tell them. The receptionist is like, so did you want to make an appointment? You're like, I just want to tell. Can you just pass a message to the doctor for me? She's like, I'm going to hang up now if you're not going to book an appointment. <laughs> I'm booking an appointment and I'm going to come in and just say that the whole time. (laughs) You're like, I have at least how long? Put it on a shirt. You're like, how how long are these appointments? Eight minutes. So for eight minutes, I'm going to say that over and over again. (laughs) She's like, "Um, if you're not going to talk about your symptoms, these are my symptoms. (laughs) That you believe endometriosis is the endometrium. (laughs) (laughs) And we hope that if you have taken anything away from this episode, it is that the next time you get really frustrated or something happens, You say slough off. (laughs) (laughs) Slough off, baby. Because we're going to keep that forever. (laughs) So all of our endometriosis can go slough off and they can try to figure out how to have apoptosis and leave our bodies. Yes, I think it will never leave. I think even after all of us are gone from this world and our bodies have decomposed, they're going to look and be like, what is left of humanity? Oh, 
endometriotic tissue. That's weird. <laughs> like, wow, one cadaver in 10 has these really weird black spots. They're just all there forever. Over it. There's nothing left in the coffin, not even bone, but there's like these weird red tissue and black groupings. and white. <laughs> these weird multiple colored spots. What is that? The endometriotic cells. <laughs> the endometriosis is like, no apoptosis forever, baby. <laughs> when you said that I didn't have to have any apoptosis, I knew that meant forever. <laughs> I will never have programmed cell death. <laughs> you can have that necklace that it's like BFF forever and it's just, it's like a blob. No apoptosis <laughs> it's forever. Like a, it's you're like, no. <laughs> Rude. Slough off. Slough off endometriosis. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. You can consult the resources that we used to make this episode on our fantastic website in 16years.com. You can reach out to us. We're on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Part two, the science. I mean, this was sciencey, but next week is like really science Yeah, like science. <laughs> so eat a meal before you. Actually, maybe don't eat a meal. You get the symptoms and the brain fog. Do whatever you need to do to have <laughs> the best focus you can have. Because we're going to need it. Send yeah. us those vibes. Brittany and I are going to need it to talk about it, okay? <laughs> All right, so... Slough off! Endometriosis. 